welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy. I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we are picking up where we left off in Chapter 7. I believe it's a Bingtown Trader's Daughter. All right, well, we'll pick up where we left off last time uh, with Devad coming to the Vestrid household unannounced. And he walks in and asks to be invited. Oh, Devad. It's so interesting to me because he knows so little and yet thinks he knows so much and that it's worth sharing. Um, Devad is such an interesting character because the more you get to know him, I feel like the worse he is. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't, I think it's just because he continuously makes the same mistakes over and over and over. And I'm not one to like, I don't know, like, Obviously, they've been friends for a really long time, and social blunders are not the thing that would make me stop being friends with somebody. But, like, he's not even nice. You know what I mean? Oh, no, yeah. His social blunders border on just insults. Yeah, and it's just being rude under a candy-coated tone and I just that's the part that would make me not want to be his friend and I get that maybe he doesn't understand that you're not just supposed to say every thought that comes to your mind but you'd think at some point like he's supposed to be this amazing trader and like really good at making money I don't see how if he can't even figure out how to talk to people without insulting them 24 7 no one said he was an amazing trader (laughs) well I mean he makes a lot of money Sure. Well, his house is in decline. (laughs) But that's more because he's so rude that nobody wants to help him. I don't like, you know what I mean? It's not that he's not making enough money to not be in decline. I don't know. Besides the point, but it's just a thing that like, he's just really mean and says things that are not nice. And like, if somebody was talking poorly about my friend, I wouldn't go to their house and agree with the gossip to their face. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, just weird. And it's not like he's asking if things are okay. He's letting her know that, like, I don't need all the details. I already have my mind made up. (laughs) And while Ronica is sitting there trying not to gape, he chimes in and says, I know it isn't proper, but I've thought of a way around that. And this is preceded by the line, Devad broke into her thoughts before she could begin her graciously worded refusal. And that happens a lot in the upcoming parts. Yes. So Ronica decides to be blunt, saying, I don't want to find a way around impropriety. The Cooper's family is socially powerful, and I cannot cannot afford to give anyone in Bingtown offense these days, let alone the son of such a family. So she's like, no, I'm not going to do any of this i want to make him more at ease while he's here whatever and uh, devad's like i know but seeing how efren is dead and malta's father's at sea i could be a kind of stand-in sort of father figure you know (laughs) devad's voice trailed off at the look on ronica's face (laughs) she spoke in a low controlled voice devad you well know that i have never required a man to be my protector When the girls were small and Efren was often at sea, I never asked his friends to settle business transactions for me, for him, or deal with unpleasant realities in his absence. I coped. All Bingtown knows that. It is who I am. Now that I am truly alone, shall I quaver and faint and hide myself behind you? I think not. Rain Cooperus comes today to meet the family of the girl he wishes to wed. He shall meet us as we truly are. 
She takes a breath and Devad speaks hastily. It's for me. For my benefit, I mean. Not for you. It's for me. Yeah, clearly. We got that. (laughs) Thanks, Devon. (laughs) It's... He really wants this. And it's to the point where he... Even he knows he's being rude and awful. And he's still risking the one old trader family friend he has left to get what he wants. And Veronica has pointed out before this little speech that he hasn't even told her why. So clearly it's something that she's not going to agree with. So why would she help? Like, there's no reason. It doesn't make sense. It's putting her family reputation in danger and she needs him to not do that. Yeah. And he's still aware of that. He says, he doesn't care. I am well aware that I am socially, uh, I am a social embarrassment. At first, it was because I was inept. Well, I've never been good at the social things. Doral was. She always took care of those. After she died, many folk in Big Town still treated me kindly in memory of her, I think. But year after year, the number of traders who hailed me as friend dwindled. I suppose I give offense without intention. Until now, of all the Big Town traders, You are the only one I dare call friend. And he pauses and sighs and then goes on his whole thing. They say all this stuff about me. I have no one else to turn to in my isolation, blah, 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 blah. No wife to comfort me. No children to inherit my holdings. After that, it all ends. My line ends with me. Veronica had closed her eyes halfway through this recitation. When Devad sighed yet again, she opened them. Devad? She said in a warning voice, shame on you trying such tricks on me. I refuse to pity you any more than I pity myself. The pits we are in, we have dug ourselves. You know the roots of your problem. You just listed them yourself. If you want to regain the respect of the Bingtown traders, leave off politicking for the new traders. Stop dabbling in the selling of humans. Go back to being who you were and your friends will return. Not quickly, for you have trodden firmly on too many toes, but eventually. You are old trader. As soon as you recall that to yourself, our compatriots will recall it as well. And in the meantime, I should genteely starve, Devad blustered, as if to fend off such dire fate, he took a large bite of the spice cake in his hand. (laughs) So he's trying to play the pity card, trying to get her to acquiesce to his request. And to be fair, it is a really good pity story. Oh, it is. And it's really well done, which is crazy because, again... Devad doesn't really seem like somebody who can talk flowerly, like in a flowerful language and like get his point across in a way that isn't rude. But here he's doing it. And then we find out, no, this is something that he says all the time and uses to try to get his way. And Veronica has clearly heard it before and she is not falling for it. There are things he could be doing to fix his situation if he wanted to. It is not on her. It is not her fault that she's the only friend left. It's his. And he doesn't care. He doesn't want to make those changes because he likes where things are at. And Veronica offers a couple of those changes like live simply like we do. You know, your household cut your household down a little bit. You and your household could then live off of just a few chickens, a few cows, whatever, a garden plot. Anything like that. And as for your being alone in the world, as I recall, you have a grandniece. Approach her if you want an heir. It might mend a great deal with that branch of your family. And Devad just kind of is like, oh, she hates me. I said something to her uh, fiancé, I think, when we were getting married. There's no repairing that. (laughs) Yeah, like to her then fiancé, her now husband. But yeah, it's... (sighs) I don't know. It's hard because we don't ever really see Devad from 
an objective third party, right? We only see him from the point of view of people who either don't like him already or from Ronica. We see him from Paragon, I guess. Do we? Yeah, his voice with Mingsley. Oh, yeah, I guess. But like... Well, that's not like a start to finish conversation. No. I don't know. He's very socially inept, but he's at least a decent trader. Although his wife did all the social things, as he said. So I guess he just stayed quiet during the balls and everything like that. Yeah, I don't know. I think he just has a lot of excuses. And I think it's because he doesn't really care about those things. It's not important to him. So he doesn't focus on it. And I don't know. He just doesn't seem like a very good person. And I guess, like, when we see him from Paragon's point of view, he's not being overtly rude. He doesn't say things that would offend the people he's trying to sell to, you know what I mean? Or make deals with. So I don't know why he feels he could be that way with Ronica or the people that are in his social circle, why it's okay to be rude to them and not care about their feelings. It's very odd and feels very multi-y, <laughs> very calculated. And I don't know. It's just strange to me that he is still friends with Ron. Like, I just don't see where Ronica's finding the pity to stay with him when she is so adamant about doing things the right way otherwise. You know what I mean? She does talk about it later. So we'll yeah. touch on it then a little bit with her conversation with Janny. Yeah. Well, again, he begs, like, please, Ronica, I won't linger. Just allow me to be here when he arrives. Simply introduce me as a family friend. That's all I ask. Help me establish a nodding acquaintance, and I'll do the rest for myself. He was pathetic. He was an old friend of the family. He trafficked in slaves. He and Doral had been wed a week after she and Ephron had married. They had danced at one another's weddings. He was certain to say on something, something unfortunate to Rain. He had come to her as his last hope. He was a disaster in the making. Kefri comes in to save Ronica a little bit, but exclaims, Devad, with <laughs> eyes round with horror. Such a surprise. I did not know you were here. <laughs> and Devad rises and says, well, I know it's not completely correct, but I simply could not resist. With Kyle away, I thought it only fitting that there be some man about your household to appraise this youngster who thinks to come courting our Malta. Indeed, Kefri said faintly turning an accusing gaze upon her mother. She steals herself and says, I've told Devad it's completely inappropriate. Later in the courtship, if both young people choose to continue it, we will offer a tea and invite family friends. That would be a more appropriate time for him to meet Rain and his family. I suppose, if that's the best you can offer your oldest, truest friend, Ronica Vestrit, I'll come back when I'm invited then. And Kefria says it's too late, they're already here. Rain and his family have arrived, and Kefria obviously did not expect this. Ronica did not expect everyone to come either. They didn't expect him to come so soon, and Kefria says, Nevertheless, Janie Cupris is here with him and an older brother, Bendir. Awaiting outside is a train of servants bearing baskets of gifts, and, Mother, I need your help. With such a reduced staff of our own, how are we to deal? And then Devad interjects with his own idea of you know, bring his own servants over and they have to unfortunately agree, even though they are both very upset about having to bring staff over. 
uh, Devad thinks that, oh, we can just hide it, say them that they're your staff, but Ronica wants to face that head on and say, no, I'll tell them that we're borrowing because they'll see us for who we are. Right, and I think the biggest the biggest thing is they're like, oh, Malta's not going to like this. Right. But like, what else are they supposed to do? It's kind of an emergency, and they weren't expecting all these gifts, especially because they told them no gifts. So the fact that they came bearing so many gifts is kind of frustrating for the whole group. Right. Well, not Devad. He doesn't understand what's going on. Yeah, he does not know. But again, he's trying that pity, that kind of, oh, if that's... The best you can do for your oldest, truest friend. (laughs) Then I guess that's what will happen. And then is saved by luck because they've already arrived. Devon has to be one of the luckiest person, uh, people in this series outside of. Losing um, his whole family to. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But yeah, besides the fact that his whole family is dead, he has managed to continue to thrive without them he makes enough money to have a ton of servants i guess technically i think most of his servants are slaves so he's not really spending money on servants at all but he is constantly wearing new clothes he eats a ton and is always going around doing things in town with people he is making trade deals all the time he has lasted however long it's been since the bud plague which is like what 20 something years alone without his wife who was the social person in of the two of them and he's doing pretty good and he happens upon situations where he is able to make more money make more connections do what he wants like everything he wants to do happens for him so i guess outside of dead family members everything else feels very lucky for devad yeah a bit right place right time i guess and Because he's already here, he needs help. He insists on taking one last look in the mirror. And so Ronica takes pity on him and helps him kind of look a little bit nicer by telling him to blot the oil out of his hair and off his face. And then also making his hair a little bit more fashionable. And he tells her that the saggy knees in his leggings can't be helped. All of his leggings do that. With that, they are going to meet Janny and Rain. And his brother that isn't really mentioned the rest of the book. <laughs> or well, not the rest, rest of the, chapter. the chapter. Yeah. I highlighted that as well. Highlighted his name because it doesn't come up again for the rest of the pages here. <laughs> she had heard that the courtship of a Rainwild man was less restrained than the practice than that practiced in Bingtown. Before Kefria had consented to Rain courting her daughter, they had been promised that the young man would not offer her expensive gifts that might turn a young girl's head. Ronica had been prepared for him to present Malta with a bouquet of flowers and perhaps some sweets. She had expected to be introduced to a shy young man, accompanied perhaps by his tutor or uncle. The morning room had been transformed. The simple arrangements of spring flowers that she and Kefria had contrived from the garden had all but disappeared. Baskets, bowls, and vases of exotic rainwild blooms blossomed in profusion throughout the room. The heady floral fragrance was thick as smoke. Platters and bowls of fruit, bottles of wine, and trays of sweets and pastries had joined the carefully arranged repast on the table. 
Brightly colored songbirds twittered in a brass cage hung in an artificial tree constructed from bronze and cherry wood. A little spotted hunting cat, no more than a kitten, prowled hopefully beneath the cage. Servants, both veiled and open-faced, moved silently and industriously about the room, completing its metamorphosis. As Ronica entered, a young man whose veiled face proclaimed him a rainwild traitor struck up a plaintive melody on a lap harp. As if carried by the music, Janie Cooper swept up to greet her. And she describes that she's wearing a new kind of outfit, and Ronica notes that no other woman has been worn anything like that before, but knows that it's going to become fashion in Bingtown soon. She's kind of wearing joggers. It says she's wearing loose pants that are tied at the ankle with ribbons, um, which is basically joggers. So just let it be known <laughs> that Janie Cooper's invented joggers in this universe. There you go. Love that for her. So yeah, a very transformed room, meeting room. This is very extravagant. Baskets and bowls and platters, and they brought their own musician, and there's a constructed tree <laughs> to hang a songbird from. Yeah, definitely a little bit too much. <laughs> so she greets Ronica warmly with one quick puzzled glance betraying her curiosity about Devad. Saying, I'm so glad you came down to join us and confides that you must be quite proud of your daughter, Kefria. She has greeted us so warmly and so graciously. She is a credit to her upbringing. And Malta, oh, I can see why my son was smitten so swiftly and so deeply. She is young, as you warned me, but already she is like an opening blossom. Any young man would fall prey to such eyes. No wonder he took such pains choosing what gifts to bring her. I confess, when the flowers are massed like this, they do appear a bit overwhelming, but surely you can forgive a young man's impetuosity in this. Especially as it's much too late to do anything else, Devad replied while Ronica was still composing a response. He stepped forward to set his hands on top of Janie's and Ronica's clasp. Welcome to the Vestra at home. I'm Devad Restart, a longtime friend of the family. We are so thrilled to have you here and deeply honored by Rain's courtship of our Malta. Don't they look charming together? It's so awkward. Janie like goes up and grasps Ronica's hands in a very familiar way. And then Devad just co comes over. Hey, I'm Devad and puts his hand on top of them like it's a huddle for a team. <laughs> yeah, Devad doesn't understand society i don't know like the best way to phrase that um how to talk to human beings it feels like in this moment well also he he blames rainwild traders deep down for the deaths of his family right we, we know that that's where like the rumor comes from of like oh i heard efren doesn't trade up there because of the blood plague and he blames the blood plague but that mainly predominantly comes from devadra's start and they don't have a live ship, the Restart family. Right. So he doesn't really have dealings with the Rainwild family and doesn't know the delicate traditions. And I don't know. I'm sure he understands it and knows what it's about because he is an old trader. But he doesn't have that relationship with a family. So it's so weird to see him just like, well, I'm Devad. Here I am butting in when we've seen examples of the carefully prescribed and detailed traditions that the Vestrids have of greeting families. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to say that he wouldn't know that because he is an old trader. He's That's what not, I said. Like, I, I yeah. feel like he does know, but it's just he doesn't in care. contrast to what we've seen before. Yeah. It's so jarring. Yeah, definitely. 
So those words that Devad says are so unlike anything Ronica would have said. She just kind of is like frozen in shock. <laughs> but Janie unmistakably removes her hands from his clasp and says, I recall you well, traitor Ristart. The tone of her voice was chill. Evidently, her recollection of him was not a kindly one. The subtlety was lost in Devad. I am so pleased and honored that you do, he exclaimed jovially. He beamed a smile. He obviously obviously believed that things were going well. Ronica knew she had to say something, but for the life of her, she could not find any significant words. She retreated into banality. Such lovely flowers. Only the rain wilds yield such extravagant colors and fragrances. Janie shifts her body, so unmistakably she's facing Ronica, but her shoulder is directly to Devad, trying to exclude him a bit, and they try to pick up a little bit of that conversation again. Right. And she acknowledges that it's overboard, but she was hoping, and she thought that she would be rebuked, but she's glad that it's okay that they brought so many flowers. And Ronica's trying to find a way to uh, tactfully say that that is overstepping. But before she can, Devad chimes in, simple, what place has simplicity in a young man's passion? Were I a boy again and courting such a girl as Malta, I too would attempt to overwhelm her with gifts. <laughs> so this comes back down to the fact that, number one, Devad has no idea what's going on. Right. And number two, Devad is coming from a place of thinking that they are trying to get Malta to be wed to this traitor. Right. So he is just trying to be like, oh, yeah, this is a great match. Honestly, who cares about the rules and who cares what she would have done? She has to let you. It's a boy's feelings. Who cares? And it's. Like, dude, read the room, first of all. Second of all, that is not what you've been told. Just get out of this conversation. You've been introduced. Mingle for a minute. Like, get away from this conversation, please. I'm begging you. That's but he good, doesn't. That's a good point, though. He's coming at it from the opposite side. Basically, the Vestrits don't want Malta married to Rain Cupris. Yeah. Because they think she's too young. I mean, they they would probably welcome it in a year or two. Yeah. But right now they're like, no. And Devad's like, no, this is great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Devad has no idea. And he is just making it worse, really, because he's making it harder on his friend. And he has no idea. And it's just really frustrating to read because we know that they he's making it worse. But he has no idea. And even if he did know they didn't want them to be courting he would have no idea about the situation either way. So it's just really hard to read this whole thing. And I think it's harder because Devad is one of the only people we see this weird inability of Ronica to get her, get what she wants out of the situation, I guess is the best way to put this. Like she definitely is somebody who thinks very carefully about her words and There are times with other characters where she is taken aback and needs a moment to compose herself. But I feel feel like with Devad, she just is a completely different person. Like, she can't even compose herself ever. She's always left reeling. She's always on that back foot. She can't really be the strong woman that we see her being in every other situation. And it's just a very interesting thing that with Devad there, she cannot be Ronica Vestrit. She is Ronica's... Devad's friend Ronica who is (laughs) just trying to figure out how to stay afloat trying to sweep up after him she does find a way 
to address him and address Janie by saying, I am sure a young man like Rain will want to be valued for himself, not his presence. Such a display is worthy of their first presentation to one another, but I am sure his courtship to follow will be more restrained. By addressing her words to Devad rather than Janie, Ronica hoped to avoid giving offense while still letting her position be known. Devad insists, nonsense, look at them. Does she look at look to you as if she wishes him to be restrained? Malta was all but enthroned in flowers. She sat in an armed chair holding a great bouquet on her lap. Pots and vases of blooms and greenery had been placed around her. A single red flower had been pinned to the shoulder of her demure white dress. Another had been fastened into her upswept hair. They complemented the warm tones of her skin and made her black hair seem even glossier. Her eyes were downcast as she spoke softly to the young man that stood so attentively beside her, yet every so often when she would glance up at him through her eyelashes. When she did, her mouth would curve in the tiniest of cat smiles. And Rain is dressed all in blue and... They say it's wearing kind of loose clothing to hide any sort of deformities. He looks very dashing as well. He has cinched his waist to make it stand out at how small it is. I found that a very interesting detail because that's usually how you describe women's waists in dresses <laughs> instead. Well, they do say a lean waist. <laughs> yes, a lean waist. But it is very funny to have the cinched waist with the sash and it's for a man. I like that a lot. Ronica speaks up and says, Malta's very young, and she speaks quickly before anyone could say any more of the situation. <laughs> Probably talking about Devad there. Yes. She does not have the wisdom to know when to go slowly. It is up to her mother and me to exercise that caution. Janie and I have agreed that, for their own sakes, these young people must not be allowed to be too impulsive. Well, I fail to see why, Devad contradicted jo her jovially. What can come of this except good? Eventually Malta must wed. Why stand in the path of young romance? Think of what may come of this. Grandchildren for Janie, great-grandchildren for you, Ronica, and mutually profitable trade agreements for all, I don't doubt. It pained Ronica to hear Devad so lib laboriously drag the conversation in the direction he wished it to go. Over the years, she had come to know the, the man too well. This was why he truly was here. He was an old friend of the family. He genuinely cared for Malta and what became of her. But the greatest part of his heart had long ago been given over to trade and the profits therefrom. For good or ill, it was how Devad's mind worked. He had never hesitated to use his friendships to the good of his business deals, though he seldom risked a business profit for the sake of a friendship. This is what I mean. Why are you friends with somebody like that then? <laughs> that is not a friend. That is not somebody who cares about you. Right. That like if a person continuously over the decades you've known them can, always shows you that they only care about profit first and foremost more than they care about you or the well-being of you and your family. Stop being friends with them. Like <laughs> That is not a good friendship that like as socially inept as he is, that is not social ineptitude. That is bad. That, like. I don't know. Like, right. that is different. That is another layer that is, like, evidence of why you shouldn't be friends with that person. <laughs> she had never evaluated what it meant to have such a friend. Differences in politics had not persuaded her to set him aside, even when many other traders ceased dealing with him. He was not a truly evil man. He simply did not give much thought to what he did. 
prophets beckoned and he followed, into slave trading, into the questionable practices of the new traders, even to making a profit from Malta's unsought courtship. He meant no harm by it, he never considered it in terms of right and wrong. That did not make him harmless. Not in terms of what he could inadvertently do to the Vestrant family if he offended Janie Cupris just now. And she goes into saying that, yeah, they hold the note to the Vivacia. And Ronica had reluctantly accepted the courtship of Malta because she knows that he would find how young and unsuitable she was soon. So that could go, things could go back to normal. They could pay off their debts normally. But if they break it off, the Vestrid family might be seen as the injured party. The Cooper's family would be expected to be more than civil in their business dealings. But if the Cooper's family broke off the courtship because the Vestrid family had undesirable political connections, meeting Devad, the attitude of the other, other traders towards her family might be substantially different. Ronica had already felt social pressure to cut off her association with Devadra's start. She would be in a financial quagmire if that were extended to trading pressure. The wise thing to do would be to dump Devadra's start. Loyalty forbade that, and pride. If the Vestrid family allowed itself to be governed by what others perceived as correct, they would lose all control of their destiny. Not that much control truly remained in their hands. So, Ronica is doing this out of a sense of loyalty and pride in the Vestrit name of not to dump friends because of bad politics or even social pressure. But it's kind of leading up to that where Ronica's like, I may have to, otherwise there's going to be financial pressure as well as social pressure on me <laughs> if it's this goes sour because of him. Like, the reason to be friend is because I've always been his friend isn't a good enough reason. Right. (laughs) It's, like, really noble to be like, listen, I'm not going to let society's ideals push me into specific directions and, like, let that govern my life. I get that. And I agree that you shouldn't just do things because society is doing them. Um, Look at slavery. Obviously, don't do that. But like, or Ronica's existence as the matriarch of yes, a family. <laughs> yeah. Also, that like, sure, push the boundaries. Don't let society tell you what to do. But this isn't that, right? Like, this isn't a moral choice. This isn't. Well, this guy is actually a really good friend to me, so it doesn't matter that we don't see eye to eye on other things. At least he brings something to this relationship that makes me feel like it's worth to be his friend outside of what people say. He's not even bringing anything to the friendship. There's literally nothing to gain out of this, except for the fact that it's tradition and Ronica Vestrit doesn't do anything that hasn't, that isn't what she has been doing for the last 40 years. So like, Ronica, please, like that's not loyalty anymore. Like you're literally doing this to, to better your, like, I don't, I don't know. I lost my train of thought, but. No, it's true though. She's just keeping him by her side because of nothing. Big old nothing burger there, you know? Pride. <laughs> yeah. Pride. I well, don't... We've already talked about that too. Kefria and Ronica. Ronica especially are traditionalists and really, really place highly the view that other families and Bingtown as a society views them as. It's so... I don't know. It's so frustrating to read because... It's frustrating and a little contradictory because, like, I, the society views the Vestrits as upstanding, traditional, old traders. We are 
wonderful and perfect in every way and hold propriety for everything. You know, we're, we're great. We're never improper. And we even won't drop our friends because of change in politics, even if our association with this friend makes us seem improper. <laughs> right. It's, it's just so, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't, I don't think Veronica gets it. I think it's literally just And that's what stubbornness. she's playing with, too, in yeah. her head. She doesn't know why she's doing it still, and, except for just loyalty. And maybe it's because up until this point, she hasn't really had to see the negative results of being around Devad. Because we know she's not like in public with Devad all the time, right? right. She's not going around being buddy-buddy with him in public she just invites him to her house sometimes as a friend which is bad but like not as bad as it could be to other people so it just the fact that (laughs) the fact that she's like oh well it's never personally affected me whether or not i'm friends with devad before and now that it's actually starting to affect me maybe i shouldn't be friends with this guy but i guess then i wouldn't be loyal so I'm going to keep being friends with him, even at the detriment <laughs> to my fr- uh, family and my safety. Girl, what? Please be serious. Like <laughs> After after Devad says that, <laughs> Veronica's sitting there in silence, just waiting for him to say something next. She felt a resigned fascination coupled with horror. What dreadful thing would Devad say next? He was completely unaware of how gauche he was being. He smiled brightly and began, Speaking of trade alliances, <laughs> and rescue comes from Kefria who's sweeping in and basically says, Hey, you know, why don't you come with me a little bit? We need help overseeing, opening some old vintages of wine and overseeing things. And Ronica's like, Okay, Kefria, you did a great job because he loves that stuff. Yeah, wine is like his favorite thing. So he's very excited to tell people how to do wine correctly <laughs> yeah <laughs> and when he leaves Janie says i wonder that you even tolerate him being here she spoke confidentially to her beneath the music and conversation in the room the other day i heard him referred to as the traitor traitor he denies it but all know he has been the go-between for the new traitors in many of their tawdry most tawdry dealings it is even said that he is the behind the new traders who are making such ridiculous offers in the hope of buying the Paragon. Shockingly ridiculous offers, Ronica agreed. I think it is scandalous that the Ludlock family even allows them to be presented. She ventured a small smile as she presented this thought to Janie. To be sure her point was not missed, she added the old trader adage, After all, it takes two to strike a bargain. Indeed, Janie agreed coolly. But isn't it cruel of Devad that he tempts the Ludlucks with such offers? He knows how straightened their circumstances are. Ugh, how Ronica to be like, well, both sides are bad, so can we really judge? <laughs> Ugh, Ronica. Well, no, she's definitely judging. Yeah. But she's just she's, judging both sides. But she's judging the Ludlucks more. Like, <laughs> I don't know what? if more, I think on an equal, equal amount there. I don't know. It feels like <laughs> bad, bad. It's bad. <laughs> also, this points to the fact that people do know what's going on with Paragon and Amber could potentially go to them and be like, hey, they did sell him help and right. get it to stop. 
Um, but Amber doesn't know that because she's not privy to this conversation. So, right. Well, Ronica admits that yeah, a lot of trader families are feeling you know a pinch in the wallet these days, including us. We borrowed these servants, you know, trying to make everything clear out in the open. And Janie replied, Ronica discovered that she had misjudged the depth of the woman's graciousness. I, too, was aware of your financial worries. It pleases me to see Rain courting a young woman who understands the necessity of living within one's means. <laughs> At least her mother and grandmother do. Yeah. So, Thrift and discipline are virtues always, no matter what one's wealth. The servants we brought with us were meant not to embarrass you, but to assist in making this a carefree time for all. Sincerity rang in her voice. Just quick question. In what way has Malta shown that she understands living within her means? They I mean, physically can't this live is, outside of their means. Right, right. This is the first time that Janie has met her, so. Yeah. So, like, for her to be like, mm, it's so good Malta knows how to be thrifty. Well, and- I'm sure Malta was putting on a very brave and wonderful face when she arrived because she was in front of powerful people, right? That's what Malta does. She right. tries to you know, flatter them and put the best face on herself. So in the presence of, you know, the modest but generous table setting and the fresh flowers that are lacking besides the all the other displays, I'm sure she acquitted herself nicely to everything that was there and presented herself as like, this is what we have to offer and this is myself and I'm not ashamed of that. Sure, but just a quick backup. This is not Janie's first time meeting Malta. She met her right, outside she, yeah, of, and the first thing Malta said was, "Isn't that an expensive jewel?" <laughs> I so, like, about that, yeah. the first time they met, all she talked about was how expensive the jewels on Janie's outfit were. That was it. That was the whole <laughs> conversation. She's like, "Wow, what a thrifty young girl!" What? <laughs> In what world? <laughs> I like. I cannot. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> She's clearly so mature from the like five feet away that we are where I'm not talking to her at all. Well, love yes, that. obviously. <laughs> I love how she's in a home where you have to be thrifty. Oh, look at that. So mature for her age. What? <laughs> People who come from poverty are the most mature, actually. Like, I just like, what? <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Continue. I, I'm just going to keep going what over and over again. So... <laughs> So to the sincerity that Janie was uh, showing by admitting that and saying that we brought over the servants to make everyone's time carefree, Ronica answers about Devad here, saying that he's a difficult friend and I could abandon him. However, I have seen the virtue. I have never seen the virtue in that. I've never respected folk who cast out offspring or relatives that displeased them. It has always seemed to me that the duty of family is to continue trying to correct no matter how painful why should it be different with old family friends especially when in many ways we have become devad's family he lost his wife and sons to the blood plague as perhaps you know i want to number one point out i've never never respected folk who cast offspring and relatives that displease them um what about the babies that are deformed you seem to have no problem with that. Those aren't family. <laughs> um, <laughs> simply, those don't exist. They don't count. Um, second, 
what an interesting thing to say, Ronica, coming from someone who is not in any way trying to correct your friend's behavior. She does tell Devad what he's doing wrong. I will give her that. Right. But she's not like sticking to it and like checking up on him and being like, what ways can I be there for you to like help you make these better changes? She just is like, you should know better. Okay, that's my job done. And that's how she treats Malta, too. And that's why it doesn't work. That's how she treated Althea and Kefria, too. Yeah. like That's her mothering and her teaching. So she is trying to correct Devon. This this whole conversation (laughs) is just me going, what? (laughs) Over and over again. (laughs) But, like, what? (laughs) In what world has she ever tried to correct? Ronica is basically mothering Devon, okay? (laughs) You know what? Her style, true. Yeah. (laughs) She is basically, yeah, no. It's, (sighs) I just. Except there's no Nana to take Devad in and actually do stuff. Yeah. She's like, "Mm, yes, we have to be proper. It's like way better to help your friends get out of the positions when they're wrong. Um, And the way I like to do that is by being mad at their decisions and kind of in, uh, implying that they're doing the wrong thing and then not giving any help to get them to do the right thing or following <laughs> up. Um, and that's how you do that. So that's what a real trader would do. <laughs> Who are you? Like, please. Well, Janie latches on to that turn of conversation about casting out your friends and family. And she asks, then you did not force Althea out of your home for improper behavior? The shock of the question astounded Ronica. Was that the Bingtown rumor? Spread as far as the rain wilds? So I think that rumor makes her being friends with Devad way worse in the eyes of all the other traders. Yeah, if probably. you think about it. Like how can you say you don't cast people out when you cast your own daughter out and she hasn't been able to fix that rumor? She didn't even know it existed until now. Right. So, I don't know. Pretty interesting. (laughs) And makes me feel way worse for Althea, but whatever. Ronica is saved a little bit by a servant passing around cakes. So she has time to take a little treat, have some wine, sip it, say this is wonderful. And Janie replies, as are the cakes, which Kefri had just baked earlier. She looks aside, letting her gaze linger on Rain and Malta. Whatever she had just said to him had made him laugh. The cant of Janie's head suggested she smiled also. Ronica considered letting the topic drop, but then steeled herself. Best to snuff rumors as soon as they were heard. Sa alone knew how long that one had been circulating, but it had probably been about ever since last summer. I did not ask Althea to leave our home. In fact, she left against my will. The division of the inheritance from her father much distressed her, she had not expected she had expected to inherit the vivacia she was hurt when she did not and she disagreed with how kyle chose to run the ship there was a quarrel and she left she found it hard but she stared squarely at janie's veil and added i do not know where she is now or what she is doing if she came to the door this very moment i would welcome her with all my heart janie returns that look saying it was an awkward question perhaps it is my way to speak directly i do not mean to give offense by that it has always seemed to me that honest words leave the least room for misunderstanding. Ronica agrees, and she shares that sentiment, and looks at Malta once again. So I quick want to talk about 
how she talks about Althea and where Althea is. Um, I want to preface it by saying I understand that she's talking to someone who she basically has only met three times and isn't really a family friend. Right. So I understand that. But the way she phrases what happened really makes it feel like Althea just got upset about not getting enough in the inheritance when her dad died. And so she left in a huff instead of like, we really blindsided her and she wasn't expecting it. And um, we weren't able to reconcile that. I feel yeah, like reading the words, just playing the words. I agree with you. I feel like this society speaks in between the lines a lot. I feel like Janie could like pick up some like "Mm, maybe, you know, (laughs) things were promised and they weren't kept or whatever. So, I mean, I guess. But how would you read that between this? I don't, like we know the background right yeah but like somebody who's an outsider who just until a few seconds ago thought she ran away because of a dispute no I yeah I, no. Totally, I agree with you the yeah. words as they're spoken that's what it makes it sound like yeah i don't know so it just was like a weird thought to me and i don't know maybe that is what like how it's viewed by ronica she like really does think it's an immature thing althea did and doesn't get why althea would be so upset but Either way, I just felt like it wasn't really fair, like a fair picture to paint of Althea and does make her seem really immature. So they're looking over at Malta here. They see what seems to be Rain and Malta having a great time and laughing and Malta's cheeks pink with a blush. Her eyes were merry. And Janie agrees, saying within a family, there is no room for secrets. And it jumps over to Malta's point of view. And Malta is having the best day ever now. Um, Almost the best day ever. (laughs) Almost. (laughs) It was wonderful, far more wonderful than Malta had ever imagined it would be. So this was what it was like to be treated properly. Her soul had starved for this her entire life, and now it was able to sate itself in the sweet sensations. Flowers scented in the air all around her, every type of dainty food and fine drink that she could imagine had been offered to her, and Rain himself could not have been more attentive. She could think of nothing that could have improved the day, unless perhaps some of her friends could be present to be enviously impressed." And then she imagined that. <laughs> yeah. And then she imagines a scenario where her friends are all sitting against the wall and she's picking the best of the dainty snacks and then sending the rest to her friends. And at the end of the day, apologizing that rain took up so much of her time, but then could knowingly look at them and say, but you know how boys are because none <laughs> of her friends, sorry, you know how men are <laughs> because none of her friends are courting. And so she's really looking at this, from a perspective of, oh, wouldn't it be great to be the center of attention in front of more people? And then Rain is just sitting there and interrupts and says, may I ask what now brings such a smile to your face? And then she's like, "Ugh, gross. A warty man is talking to me. I cannot believe this is happening. Yeah. This really sours the whole thing. Her pretty daydream soured. Who knew what sort of visage smiled beneath that veil? A little quivering turned restlessly in her belly. She did not let her unease show on her face. Instead, she answered in a pleasantly modulated voice. Why, I was but thinking how gay it might be if some of my friends were here to share all of this with us. So it's really interesting to see Malta's 
point of view, it really, again, highlights how young she is. Like, she just wants a party. She just wants to be the center of attention and for there to be a party at her house. And, like, I don't think she understands that this is not how courting normally goes. If this went the normal way, there would not be this many things at her house. And if it was anybody in town, they would not have been able to afford this opulence as their first courting date. (laughs) Right. So this is really the extreme, but this is the thing that she's been dreaming about, right? Like this is what she thinks happens. And unfortunately, it's the first thing that does. So she thinks she's right. This is just how it works. This is how it always is. And her family has been rudely keeping her from it for no reason. So Malta's hoping, of course, that other people will be there to rub it in their face. And Rain says, I was thinking the opposite. The opposite? She wondered aloud as she raised an eyebrow to his words. He did not move from where he stood, but pitched his voice for more intimacy. I was thinking how pleasant it will be when I am deep enough in your trust to see you more privately. All she had to go by was his posture and his voice. There was no raised brow or shy smile to accompany the words. She had spoken to men before, even flirted when her mother and gr- or grandmother was not present. But no man had ever been so frank with her. It was both heady and daunting. All the time she hesitated, she knew he studied her bared face. Try as she might, she could not keep all expression from it. How could one flirt and smile when one did not know if a man or a grotesque freak answered that smile? The thought put a tiny chill into her words. Surely we must decide... First, if this courtship is even to begin. Is not that what this first meeting is about? To see if we are suited to one another? And he says, like, oh, come on, let's leave that discussion to the mothers or your grandmother or whatever, because we know this is this is happening. You open up the dream box, you shared my dream. We're it's on. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get married. We both know that, obviously, because you opened the dream box. And um yeah, so who cares what they talk about? That's the old lady stuff. Leave it to them. And she's kinda like, What? <laughs> like she doesn't get it still. And at right. no point do I feel as though she does. She is just thinking about all the things she can get. So I don't know if she understands. That, like, she basically already promised to marry this guy. Either way, she's like... Oh, or at look least how... court him. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's just interesting. And it's really... It's good that we had a chapter before this to get to know Rain a little bit more. So that we know what his thinking was going into this moment and going right. into this day. Because I think it gives us a little bit more insight that otherwise we wouldn't have. And we know that Rain was coming in. He decided to wear a darker veil because he thought he'd be more mysterious and Malta would like that. He is picking out gifts that she is deserving of because he thinks that she'll, um, she understands the value of the gifts, even if he can't give her too many, even right. though he gave her so many. <laughs> and then we are seeing it play out from Malta's point of view where she is a child and she doesn't like him. She likes the attention. She likes the idea that she has things that her friends don't, that she can brag about and is focusing more on the material side of things and more on the 
side of things of what she can get out of the interaction rather than how she feels about the guy and how right. he might be feeling towards her. Yeah. And Rain continues and, and says that basically your family sought to dampen my hopes with the notion that you were more child than woman that I found laughable. That is the game I speak of the game that all families play when their offspring wish to wed obstacles will be invented only to dissolve when the balance is weighted with enough gifts and trade advantages. But this talk is too blunt for us. It speaks of the pocket and not of the heart. It speaks not at all of my hunger for you. So, like, he he's on that full side of, like, oh, they're trying to say you're a child, but I know you're a woman. And that flatters her, obviously. Right. That's what she wants to hear. But at the same time, she just wants to hear that because, like you said, she wants the attention and to prove that she is the adult in the room. Right. And... Because she's not the adult, she doesn't understand that she should be playing up how childish she is if she does not want to wed him. Right, exactly. Like, which but she no. doesn't. She <laughs> she's doesn't. Flirting. Yeah. Instead of recognizing, like, oh, here's the situation as it is. They were trying to say that I'm too young, so he can't marry me. And he now thinks that he was right. I am not too young. Maybe if I act a little young, he won't want to marry me and I won't have to go through with this because who would want to marry a child? Instead, she's like, mm, you're right. I am a woman. I'm not a child. <laughs> but man, rain comes on very strong, says Malta. I ache for you. I long to possess you to share every secret of my heart with you. The sooner my mother surrenders to every demand of your family, the better. Tell your grandmother that. Tell her that she may ask anything she wishes, and I will be sure the Vestrits receive it, so long as I may find you soon in my arms. Malta recoils with a swift intake of breath. Her shock was not feigned, but Rain mistook the source of it. He steps back and says, Forgive me, I beg you. I am cursed with a tongue that speaks the words of my heart before my head can intervene. How crude I must seem to you like an animal panting after you. I vow to you that is not so. Ever since I saw you that evening outside the trader's concourse, I became aware that I had a soul as well as a mind. He says that he was basically made fun of and most people marry young, but he didn't really have a care for that until he decided to speak to her. Some say I was enscrolled young by my work, that I would never know the true love from anyone human. That is so sad. And I actually do feel kind of bad for Rain in this moment. I'm going to like set aside my yuckiness about their pairing it is really sad that because he didn't find somebody young people are like oh he's ensorcelled yeah, yeah he he's like gonna he's gonna drown in the memories yeah he he's never gonna find human love he can't find love at all and he can't feel it and like that's a horrible say, thing to say to a kid and i get that it's better if you find love young in that culture because then you have more time to have kids and whatever. Like they don't live very long. So obviously there's that fear. But to like put that much pressure, it's not like he's that old now. And his mom is at least 20 years older than him. Well, maybe 14. But like, <laughs> no, he's the youngest. So she's probably like 20 years older than him. Yeah. So it's not like he doesn't have more time. And men don't have biological clocks, so that's not the worry. So right. I don't understand. They die young. But, like, I don't understand that much pressure being put on him and the fact that he has to deal with it. And it does make me feel like he and Malta are suited in that way. They both just crave attention and this thing that they've dreamed about for but he so didn't, long. He didn't know about it. He said he didn't really care that much. 
But that doesn't mean he didn't know right. what love was or sure. like want that, you know? Like he, I th- he does say like when his brothers and sisters spoke of passion and attractions, I could not grasp what they meant. Right. But I think he is a romantic and he is somebody who like I envision that he read a lot of romance novels and like <laughs> that's where he gets his ideas of what love is. And Malta is giving that to him because she is also young and naive and doesn't have any real experience. And so like they She's both... also romance novel knowledge. Yeah, novel. yeah. Yeah. So I feel like they both are coming at it from a place of like they have idealized what love and romance is and should be and not really what real life makes it not that i guess like true love is that far off from romance novel (laughs) feelings but like just how grandiose both of them is how how he talks to her it just feels like a naive boy who yeah very full of flowery flattering Mm -hmm. and evocative language yeah of his feelings so like i don't know if he didn't get it from a romance novel, I don't know where he did, but it just, they, I think they are matched in that way that they both idealize what love should be and what romance is. And that's, I guess, good for their match. I don't know. (laughs) That's about as positive as I could be about them. (laughs) He continues on saying that some whispered that he was incapable of man's passions But that didn't really bother him too much. He knew he had a heart, but saw no need for it to awaken. In the runes I traced and deciphered, in the strange mechanisms I dismantled, I thought I had enough to occupy all my thoughts. I was annoyed when my mother insisted I accompany her to Bingtown for that meeting. Annoyed. All that was swept aside in the first moment I dared speak to you. So he says, like, wild boyish hope drove him to leave the dream box. And then she opened it. He was sure she wouldn't, and even if she did, he was sure that she wouldn't, like, choose to continue on the dream with him. But she did, and she actively participated and said that she wanted it and, like, whatever. Like, she went above and beyond his expectations, and it really sets the stage that this is Malta. Like, Malta made these choices. Malta, and, like, again, she's 13, so, like, forgiveness can be made, but... It is her actions that have led them to this place, and it's something that she refuses to acknowledge. But Robin Hobb makes sure to let us know, in case we forgot from last book, it is Malta that made this whole situation what it is. And why Rain thinks there's no way she's a child and doesn't know what she's doing, because she opened the dream box, and of course she would know what that was. You opened my soul and shared with me a vision of such enchantment. You walked through my city and your presence awoke it to life. I had always believed the cold and silent city was my heart. You can guess what that meant to me. Malta heard his impassioned words with only half an ear. Because remember before this, he said, Tell her she may ask anything she wishes, and I will be sure the Vestrits receive it so long as I may find you soon in my arms. And Malta grabbed onto that and... That's all she's been thinking about. Yeah. And she just greedily is thinking about anything. Wow. Anything. She's like, maybe I can ask. Well, she should not ask so much that she seemed greedy. That might make him rethink his passion for her. Nor should she ask so little that she appeared foolish or undervalued by her family. So like immediately she goes like, oh, I'm going to ask for something. 
yeah, and like, I'll get whatever I want. He's sitting here like <laughs> professing his love and his feelings and like how deep and meaningful it is that they're connected and they're like so alike and they're really connected on a soul level. And she's like, I wonder how much money I can get out of this. Like what kind of gifts do I think would be right. not too much to be greedy, but enough that I get what I want. And like the whole time, like that's their two thought processes. Is she's what can I get out of this? And he's like, our souls are connected. We're in love. <laughs> You've brightened my dead and cold city, and that was my heart. So and she's like, hmm. I think I need to wait until my dad gets back so I can get the most out of this deal. <laughs> yeah. Oh, if only her father were here, he would see to it that she used Rain's passion to her best advantage. In an instant, she realized that that was what she must do. Delay the negotiations until her father returned. You are silent, Rain observed. I have offended you. She moved to seize the advantage. He must think his position uncertain, but not hopeless. She tried to put a timorous smile on her face. I am not accustomed. That is, no one has ever spoken to me of such. She let her voice trail away doubtfully. She took a breath as if composing herself. My heart is beating so... Sometimes, when I am frightened, I become quite... Do you suppose you could bring me a glass of wine? After the dream they they had shared, could she make him believe her spirit was so delicate as to be distressed at such frank speech? She could. There was suppressed panic in the set of his shoulders as he turned hastily away from her. Okay, so this is exactly what I mean. That was pretty clumsy. I think think. I mean, it's done well. It works. But like, because the dude's head over heels for her and wants to do whatever he can (laughs) to make sure that she likes him, too. It's not somebody who is wary of her or looking to see what she's Mm. doing. I feel like she's just like, oh, my. Oh, I never like she's not even saying specific things that would make her feel that way. It's just like, wow, I don't I don't know what to do. So you think this is uh, this tone might be a little bit too clumsy compared to the early tone in the chapter yes i'm not saying it's too clumsy i think it's appropriate i think it shows her youth i think it shows she's like navigating this and she's doing it well and i don't think it's bad i don't think what she's doing is poorly done i just think this compared to how she handled her mother and grandmother is so completely different and maybe that's because she's trying to go like go for Oh, I'm I'm just a delicate little flower. What what I know of how to react when a man is talks about how much he loves me and not because she's trying to be like, I'm a woman and I know things. Maybe that's the difference. I just yeah, this feels more like a kid trying to figure out how to flirt. And that felt more (laughs) like an adult that is a real adult who is fully mature and understands and is able to think through. Well, this is a kid who is pretending how to be timid in order to string a man along. Yeah. While she was flirting beforehand. Yeah. Like, and that's, <laughs> this the, is like, more it's, manipulative. <laughs> yeah. It's way more manipulative and it's weird because it comes out of nowhere. Like that's not how she's been acting this whole time. And then she just suddenly like, Oh, I don't know what I mean, to he say. He did have a huge speech just like spilling all of his <laughs> innermost thoughts. He came on yeah. very strong. True. You're not wrong. <laughs> So, yes, he's probably a little panic of like, oh, my God, I scared her off (laughs) too much, too much. But like it wouldn't work if he wasn't this besotted with her. So, like, I think that's what like her speech before would have worked no matter who is listening. This is specifically tailored to rain and wouldn't work outside of this. And maybe that's because she's so good that she can tailor it to each situation 
I don't know. I just personally felt like that earlier manipulation and this manipulation are very contrasting. Not that this isn't a good manipulation. I don't know. (laughs) But she's more unsure of this one. She's not sure if it's going to work. And I guess maybe that's because she doesn't have a ton of experience with guys and she's not sure. And like, especially because he knows her like that dream they shared. She wasn't shy. She didn't care that she was being kidnapped. She like kicked and screamed and fought. Also, she can't see his face, which he remarked upon and Mm, read cues from his expressions. True, true. He comes back with a glass of wine and she kind of leans back slightly or draws back slightly and as if fearing to take it from his hand and he expelled a small sound of dismay she forced a smile to her lips so she's like really pretending this kind of like i'm putting on a best face like you did scare me but no 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 i'm i'm so sorry thank you so much for the wine and everything and he's like how can you thank me when i'm the one who put this dismay in you and he's just like oh no no, we're just a small, humble family. Like, we live below our means. You know, I don't have much experience with guys or anything like that. And, you know, almost I wish I had other suitors that I could already know something of the ways of men and women. She gave a tiny shrug and a sigh as she looked back down. She held her breath for a moment, hoping the effort would redden her cheeks as with a blush. She whispered breathlessly, I confess I almost did not understand my own dream that night I opened the box. She did not look up as she pleaded prettily. Could you teach me what such things signify? She did not need to see his face. She didn't even need to look up at his stance. She knew that she had conquered completely in the moment he replied, I could think of nothing I should like better than to be your tutor in such things. So she's like going on this whole speech. She's talking about, you know, trying to string him along to delay for her father to get back, to get the most out of his passion. And she's just changing up, but at like a perfect time, holding her breath to get a blush to her cheeks as like in the other points of view, we saw Janie and Ronica look over and she's like, her cheeks are pink with blush and they're laughing. So she is very adept at looking at stances, at tones of voice, at postures to manipulate emotions for people. Yeah, I don't know. It's just very... When did she learn how to manipulate people this thoroughly? She's like 14 and doesn't do anything. You know what I mean? She manipulates. That's what she, she does. <laughs> she's a job. natural born manipulator. I don't know. And I like, again, I feel like the only reason it's so successful is because he's already besotted. But like, I don't know. She just like, I don't know. I don't know. It's just <laughs> odd to think that she knows so well the ways of men. Maybe she is reading romance novels when she's not supposed to. I have no idea. Over at Dello's house. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's definitely an interesting chapter. We get to see a lot of things going on <laughs> and how the beginning of the courtship is going to go. Yeah. This is, I think, the strongest look at where Malta is right now. Um, yeah. Because at the end of the last book, we didn't get too much of her straight manipulations but we see her expertise in this chapter quite a bit and how like you said the courtship starts and where her feelings are sitting at knowing that her family doesn't want this to continue but her kind of being on an edge of like well i'm gonna flirt because i'm a woman and i can do that not knowing the serious implications of that or starting a courtship in general and then her deciding 
midway through, like, oh, I can get a lot of things out of this guy. So I'll string him along until my father can negotiate better. Yeah. So this is another thing that doesn't quite make sense to me because coming into the reason Malta wanted to be seen as a woman is because she wanted to get a lot of suitors. She wanted a lot of people to flatter her and to flirt with her and to give her gifts. And she wanted to travel the world being single for forever, basically not forever, but like for a long time, she wanted to enjoy being single. And then now that rain is here, even though she starts his visit by saying like, can't believe I'm here. And before he even got here, she's talking about how like my family's forcing me to be married to this weirdo because of some contract they signed. And then here at the end of this chapter, she's saying, Oh, I could actually get a lot out of this. I'm definitely going to marry this guy to get whatever I want. It's such a weird shift. Yeah. Maybe not Mary, but I, I think she's, reading his comment as like tell me anything you want and i'll get it for you not not what rain's context was like tell your grandmother she can get anything she wants for the family negotiations that have to go behind the scenes to get married to get married well it's just like oh i can get anything i want in this courtship (laughs) okay yeah that makes more sense because i think because i think she said she listened with half an ear after he said that so i feel like that's kind of (laughs) she was full listening before that so like there is the context clue. But it of like, is Malta. T- yeah, <laughs> true. She hears what she wants. I. It just that I like. That's that where better. I think she's coming from. Okay, so she thinks, oh, this courtship is going to get me a lot. They're mm-hmm. going to give me what I want, and, and then, then my I'm father end will. It. Yeah, my father won't make me marry him. But like, but he'll he'll see. Yes, like, he will. <laughs> yeah, I know, but. Not to her, because Kyle's perfect in Malta's mind and would never right. force her to marry somebody that she doesn't want to. Exactly. Just for the benefit of the family. <laughs> the listeners cannot see but i just i just eye rolled and made a dubious face so <laughs> well tell us your innermost thoughts about malta here <laughs> you can email us at isfitshappy at gmail.com or you can message us directly on any of our social medias we're on facebook we're on twitter we're on threads we're on instagram And we post these episodes to YouTube as well. Please let us know what you think about this chapter, where you see the family, what you think about Devad. Mm -hmm. He was a big topic in this chapter as well. Uh, Just let us know what you're thinking. Yeah. And if you guys like this bracket that we're doing, let us know and we can come up with more ideas every once in a while to do brackets to have everybody vote on. Yeah, This was very impromptu. Yeah. <laughs> Emma, just a- Emma put out a prompt on Instagram saying like, who's your the most annoying character? And we got a ton of responses and just decided to put all of those into a bracket rather than make one poll. So if you missed that on Instagram or on threads, make sure you follow us there as well so you can see those in the future. Yes, so you should be able to receive it anywhere. Can't wait to hear from you guys next week. Can I get a little drum roll, please? And the most annoying character in all of the realm of the elderlings is Kyle Avon. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is uh, in response to the uh, knockout bracket that we did. Uh, we kind of mentioned it earlier that Emma ran a quick little prompt on Instagram a while back, saying like, "Who's your most annoying character?" And we got a ton of responses. So instead of just 
putting the results from that out on our um, on our socials, we decided to make an impromptu bracket with all of those characters going head to head against each other to find out who was the most annoying. We got a lot of votes, so we appreciate everyone who did that. It spanned across five days, I think. And there was, I think, 22 original, and we finally narrowed it down to a competition between Satrap Cosgo and Kyle Haven, both from Live Ships. Yeah. And yeah. Kyle won. Kyle won by one point. One vote, yes. So love to see it. We love when Kyle is at his lowest. Um <laughs> Honestly. I kind of wish Satrap Cosgo would have won that between the two because I think he's more annoying. Kyle's yeah. more awful. Yeah. But to me, Cosgo is also awful, but he's yeah. more annoying. So that's the hard part, right? Because like we're not trying to decide whether or not they're good people. It's just if they're annoying. Yeah. I feel like Kyle is a little bit more annoying than Cosgo because, you so? hear me out, he like never learns his lesson. <laughs> That's fair. And he can't ever admit he's wrong. So he just like continuously I mean, tries to like. Cosgo doesn't either. He just gets bullied to the point where he has to do things the other way. Yeah. But like, <laughs> but like that makes him a little bit more sympathetic. <laughs> okay. Okay. No, well. I think they're both annoying. It's been very interesting to see what you guys think and who's been beating each other out in all the brackets. I think. Yeah. It was wild because when we first, when you first did the prompt, Malta was the winner. Yeah. With, and, I mean, it was less people who responded to that prompt than the overall votes because we posted that poll a little bit more places. But I think Malta was ahead with like eight people saying Malta was the most annoying. And then Fitz was in second place. Yeah. And both of those people got knocked out before the finals. So. Yeah. Yeah. They were like out round two or three. Malta made it to round four. Round she, three. Yeah, they both came in in round two because they had buys because they were seated so strongly. People found yeah. them so annoying. And then they both passed the first round or maybe Fitz got knocked out right away by Fitz, Chade. Yeah, Fitz got knocked out by Chade, which was very surprising to me. But I guess it was specifically older Chade. And older Chade is really annoying because he <laughs> does stuff that he knows he's not supposed to do at the detriment of his own health and the detriment of the people around him. And also, like, doesn't admit to his children that he's their dad. I don't know. I get it. I get it. Fitz is just whiny. Like, <laughs> Yeah. So, like, our, our quarterfinal round was Malta versus Satrap Cosgo. Malta got destroyed by yeah. Cosgo. Uh, where Fair she, enough. She barely beat out Greft the previous round. Greft mm -hmm. from the Rainwild Chronicles, who is also an annoying character. But I didn't think there would be that many votes for him, which was surprising. Yeah. But, yeah, Satrap Cosgo beat out Malta. Regal beat out old Chade, and Chade had beat uh, Fitz before that, I believe. Yes. Yes. And Starling barely beat out Svanja, which is Hap's girlfriend in the Tawny Man. Yeah. Hap's love life, uh, which was a very funny response that we got. It was like, I don't think it's a character, but I don't like reading about Hap's love life in general. <laughs> so <laughs> I put the character face to that. Uh, and then uh, Kyle beat out Molly, of course. Yeah. I feel like Molly isn't that annoying. No, it was it was between Molly and B, I think. Yeah, it yeah. was between Molly and B, so people chose Molly. Yeah. And the first one was I think um no, Molly got a, a pass, I think. So, I like yeah. okay. Number 1 B is definitely more annoying than Molly. True, number 2, true. number 2 
I'm surprised The Fool isn't on there. No, The Fool was. Fool the Fool got beat out pretty there. early. Yeah. The Fool is a very annoying character. I feel like... The Fool got beat out by Nettle, actually. Mm. By um, 30 votes, about. I feel like Nettle isn't that annoying. Maybe a no. little, but like... She's not- a kid when she's introduced, and then she gets a little bit like commanding in the later ones. Which okay. like Malta apologist? <laughs> no, well, yeah, I mean, I am kind of. You know, I said that at the beginning. <laughs> she is just like twelve or whatever. But yeah, she's a little annoying. But the fool is more annoying, I think, with yeah. how riddly he talks. Yeah, I don't he know. also like the fool is Lord Golden. I guess should have been another character on there. Lord Golden is so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Not a huge fan. Um, so our semifinals ultimately were Cosgo versus Regal and Starling versus Kyle. And Kyle won in a landslide, which is surprising me because a ton of the fandom does not like Starling. Yeah. But she is pretty annoying. Kyle is probably higher on that list. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. No. And then uh, was... Cosgo versus Regal was the other. And Cosgo is definitely more annoying than Regal. Yeah, it was definitely a lot of fun to do. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed doing that. I think it was like a fun way to think about characters and a good way to like bring them all together on the same playing field. Yeah, yeah. I kind of want to do more of those in the future. So please let us know if you guys want to hear more of those. Yeah, if you like them or if you have any ideas for other brackets. I'm thinking like hottest character. I'm thinking like (laughs) (laughs) most conniving. Like, I don't know. Just like smartest. Smartest. We could do smartest. But yeah. There's some good ones out there. Hottest character is going to be really hard because like Fitz will win in a landslide. He's like Fitz or chivalry will win in a landslide. They should also, according to their descriptions. Um, Very funny to imagine that Fitz and chivalry will have to go head to head over who's hotter. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I would like to say, I feel like Edo should be up there. She has to get in there. She, there's no way she's not hot. Like she exudes she's, everything. Her like, attitude through the books, yes, but the way she's described, not so much. How rude! How rude! How dare you? <laughs> I don't know. Ketrikin also. Hello, she's. Gonna oh yeah, be, Ketrikin. Yeah. So. They, I feel like this book is just like hot people walking around. If anybody has seen those TikToks of the like AI filter of what the Harry Potter characters look like if they were Balenciaga, um models which is like such a niche thing i don't know if anybody else has heard of this but if you've seen those that is what i picture the entire cast all of the elderlings looking like kind of scary (laughs) if you haven't seen it please look up it's so dumb but it is so funny and it's (laughs) anyway very big tangent thank you guys for voting and participating let us know what you think and if we should do more um we're excited to hear what you guys think about that Thanks so much, everyone. See you guys next week.